So we're continuing a three-part series that asks the all-important question, why are we here? Come on, ask your neighbor, why are you here? Okay, why are we here? Why do we bother getting out of bed on Sunday morning? Because I don't know about you, some days I like to go to the Church of St. Mattress. Why are we here? Why do we gather together and worship? Uh... So let's look at that question today. Last week, we talked about the first aspect of it, and uh, it goes back to our mission statement. This one statement really sums up who we are as a church, growing the family of God from one generation to the next. Okay, can you all say that with me? Growing the family of God from one generation to the next. Okay, that's our unique role. That's how we play out the Great Commission as a church and we broke this, breaking this down into three parts. Last week, we talked about growth, okay? God didn't save you to be a baby your whole life, right? Right? right. Drinking a bottle, wearing diapers is cute when you're two months old, but it's another thing altogether when you're 45. As a Christian, you should be growing spiritually all throughout your walk with God. So we talked about personal growth. We talked about numerical growth. We talked about growing into God's family. And today we're going to move on to the next part. We're going to talk about family of God. Okay. Why are we here? We're here to grow. We're here to be a family. Okay. We're here to be a family. Two things. Two things that God has called us to do as a church concerning family. Our purpose as a church deals with family on two levels. Tell somebody two levels. God is calling us to build families and to be family. God is calling us to build families and to be family. That's our purpose at Generation Church, to build families and to be family. Tell somebody we're here to build families. I don't know if you've noticed, but in our culture today, the family unit is weaker than ever. There is an all-out assault from the enemy on families. America now has the highest percentage of one adult household's in the whole world. Think about that. The one nation that historically has sent more missionaries to preach the gospel throughout the world than any other nation on earth in our current state has the highest percentage of one adult households of all the nations of the world. More than half of all babies born in the United States are born out of wedlock. Today, one out of every three children in the U.S. lives in a home without a father. And the total of 42% of single mothers in America are living on food stamps, struggling. The United States has the highest divorce rate on the planet. And Goldsboro has a higher rate than the national average. More than 1 million public school children do not have a permanent residence currently. They're living with relatives, friends, living in a hotel, out of cars, or sleeping in public spaces. America also has the highest teen pregnancy rate in the world. The teen pregnancy rate in the U.S. is twice as high as Canada, three times higher than France, and seven times higher than Japan. One in every four American teenage girls will have at least one type of sexually transmitted disease. Hmm. A total of 47% of high school students in the United States have had sex, and more often than not, at an age far younger than we want to admit. One of the most alarming things about our beloved land is that America has the highest rate of child abuse deaths 
worldwide. About 3 million child abuse reports are filed around the country each year, and approximately 20% of child sexual abuse victims are younger than 8 years of age. According to the statistics cited in the study, approximately one in every four American girls will be sexually abused before their 18th birthday. Church, the family is under assault in our nation. As goes the family, so goes the nation. And we as a church are making families our priority. Okay, where do we start? Well, it starts with Jesus. It starts with introducing families to Jesus because he's the foundation. All of the ground is sinking sand. It's not going to work unless you build it on the right foundations. Not only are we here to reach families with the gospel, but we're also focused on teaching and equipping family members. How many of you know family members need our help? Men need our help. I believe God wants to raise up a new generation of men to be spiritual leaders. I believe that men ought to lead the way to church on Sunday morning, right? Church ought to be a man's thing. When you study worship in the Old Testament, some of the bravest men on the battlefield were the leading worshipers in Israel. That's why I'm I'm, I'm in an assault on making the church manly again. That's that's my campaign, okay? Because you go to a lot of traditional churches and there's pink everywhere and there's flowers everywhere. It's about the girliest place on earth. Church ought to be a little more manly. Come on, all the men say, amen. (laughs) (laughs) Women need our help. In our community, more often than not, it's the women who are the backbone of the family. And with so many absent fathers, women are carrying the full load and they need us to help them. Children need our help. Some of the children we minister to every week leave this place and go back to an awful home life. They need us now more than ever to love on them, to care for them, to invest in them. Children are the future of this nation and the future of our church. When I look at the kids in our kids' wing, I see the next generation of pastors and leaders and teachers and legislators and innovators and business leaders. But now's our opportunity to train them in the ways of godliness. Now's the time to equip them and teach them the truth and what is right. God is calling us to build family. Not only is the enemy trying to destroy existing families, he's trying to stop new families from forming. When you think about abortion and suicide and all the gender identity issues going on, it is an absolute assault on God's institution of family. So what is God calling us to build? Okay, three of you. What's God calling us to build? We're here to build families. I want to see every obstacle come down. I want to see abortion end in our nation. I want to see suicide end in our community. I want to see an environment where little boys and little girls are loved and protected and taught to love who God made them to be. I know God's got big plans for this generation because the enemy is doing everything he can to destroy them. Jesus tells us the enemy's playbook in John 10.10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's the devil's plans right there, to steal, kill, and destroy. If you want to know, here, this is how you test it. This is the 10-10 test. If you want to know if something is of God or is of the devil, you look at it. You look at it and see, what are the end results? Does it steal? Does it kill? Destroy? Yeah, that's from the enemy. The LGBTQ suicide rate, 43%. Does it kill, steal, destroy? That's of the enemy. Hello. 
I ain't political, I'm scriptural. The only thing the enemy does is steal, kill, and destroy it. He doesn't care how he does it. He just wants to do it in your life. The only thing the devil knows how to do, and that's all he's ever done, but he'll act like your friend in the beginning. Hey, buddy. Hey, friend. You want to have fun? Want to have a good time? The end result is always the same. He will steal, kill, and destroy. He'll make you feel good and act like he's on your side, but in the end, he'll bring nothing but death and destruction. That's the devil's plan, but what about God's plan for your life? Aren't you glad Jesus went on to say, I have come that they might have life and they may have it more abundantly. The devil comes to destroy, but God comes to bring life. On one side, you have what God wants for your life. On the other side, you have what the devil wants for your life. And here's what I want you to understand this morning is that the devil is actively at work in this world. 1 Peter 5.8 is a warning to us. It says, be sober and be vigilant. In other words, open up your eyes and see because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Who is our adversary? Oh, come on. Y'all can do better than that. Who's our adversary, church? People are not the enemy. Come on, tell somebody that people are not the enemy. Listen, people are never the enemy. Ephesians 6.12 tells us this, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Our enemy is, is the devil and spiritual evil spirits, spiritual wickedness. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. There is more going on in this world than just human actions. We are fighting a spiritual enemy. The Bible warns us in 1 John 5, 19 that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Whole world, y'all. But it's interesting to me that when people face tragedy, they don't blame the devil. They blame God. God, why would you do this to me? But those who know the truth understand that God is not the author of death and suffering. He is not the author of evil. C.S. Lewis said this, the greatest trick the devil played was to convince the world he doesn't exist. All too often, people go through tragedy and pain, and what do they do? They get mad at God, and they run from God. But instead, what we ought to do is get mad at the devil and run to God. Hello? God never said we wouldn't have troubles and we wouldn't have heartbreak, but listen to what God has promised. Psalm 147.3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Now, let me ask you this. When did the devil ever do that for somebody? I mean, I believe in science. I believe in logic, right? One plus one equals two. If God... Heals a broken heart and it binds their wounds. What's the devil do? The opposite of that. So why would you run from God and run to the devil? Hello. Far too many people are running in the wrong direction. And when we experience pain and suffering, that is not the time to run away from God. That's when we need God the most because God alone is the healer of broken hearts. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. And if you are brokenhearted this morning, do not let the enemy deceive you into running away from the only one who has the power to heal you and to restore your life. 
The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. And God has promised us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. So why would we leave and forsake him? We need for families in this community to know that there is hope in Jesus. And there are families running the wrong way. There are people running the wrong way. And it's our job to help them, to let them know there is hope in Jesus. That's why we're here to carry the message of hope. God has promised, even in the midst of heartache and pain, that he would be there. Even on our worst days. On my worst day, I'm a child of God. Even in the midst of heartache and pain, he's there. He's right there to help us, to give us strength and see us through. Jesus said in John 16, 33, These things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. No matter what we face in this world, our God is greater. Church, in the end, no matter what, we win. Come on, tell somebody, that's why I'm sticking with Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. And while we know that God is good and God is greater than all the power of the enemy, and while we know that in the end God will triumph, we still live with daily reminders that at this present time, this world is under control of the evil one. <laughs> And you can see why believers don't want to be a part of this world. Come on, church. This world is messed up. It is corrupt. It is full of evil. It's understandable why some people would rather just go into heaven and get away from all that. Anybody ever felt that way? I know how I have. <laughs> More so recently. I wish I could get away from all of it. Listen, I don't want my son growing up in a world where a person can decide their own gender. I'm sorry, but you cannot throw yourself a gender reveal party. It just doesn't work that way. Because <laughs> I believe in science. I believe the chromosomes don't lie, baby. <laughs> I don't want to be a part of a world where perversion is normalized. I don't want to be a part of a world where people hate each other based on their skin color. I don't want any of that. That's not the kind of world I live in. And I think a lot of us feel that way. Yet Jesus prayed a prayer that really messes with us in John 17. Jesus said this, I, pr I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. Oh, come on, Jesus. Can't we just get saved and go right on that highway to heaven on the express route? Come on, can't we just get raptured at the altar and be done with all of this mess? I have a hard time with that prayer. Come on, I talked to Jesus about, Lord, please, can we just get away from all of this? <laughs> that's what I want, but that's not what God's want. God wants. That's not God's plan. God doesn't want us to just escape from this world. He puts us in this world on purpose. We cannot retreat from the world around us, but God has called us because God has called us to reach the world around us. We are in this world not because we need this world, because this world needs us. Come on, tell somebody, the world needs me. That's why we're here. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. He, he didn't say, I'm the light of the world. He said, you're the light of the world. Well, how about that? You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, Jesus was known for befriending people who were outcasts. He spent a lot of time loving and ministering to people that the religious folk rejected. 
Mark 2, 16, when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with these folks? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Church, this world is spiritually sick, and we don't have the vaccine. We got the cure. Hello. We have the cure. We have the answer. Honestly, for us to say I hate being in the world is like a doctor say I hate being around sick people. This world is our mission and this world is our purpose and we are the people. These are the people that God has sent us to help. I think about William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. Boy, he was a radical evangelist. He would go everywhere collecting clothes. No, that's not what he did. Preaching the gospel. And when his daughter was eight or nine years old, he carried her with him into a tavern full of drunk people, rowdy people. And he said, young lady, these are your people. Win them to Christ. What a mindset. What a radical way to think. When you go around and you look at people who are absolutely destitute without God, remember, these are your people. Jesus said, what? You'll be fishers of men. I'm sending you to reach people. God put us in the world to help and to seek and save those who are lost. Church, the world is sick with sin, and we have the cure. Jesus is the answer this world is looking for. He's the answer to struggling families. He's the answer to broken hearts and broken homes. Come on, tell somebody he's the answer. If you're looking for hope, you'll find it in Jesus. There's more to it than that. When you receive Jesus as the Lord of your life, the Bible says that you become a child of God, and now you're part of a family. Galatians 3.26, for you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. When you accept Jesus by faith, you're adopted into God's household. Now think about how adoption, you don't earn adoption. You are adopted because somebody had compassion on you and said, I'm going to make you part of my family. We're not saved by good works and good deeds. Truth is, none of y'all could ever live right enough to be worthy of salvation. Jesus paid the price for you. God said, I love you so much, I'm going to adopt you into my family. I'm going to take you and make you my own. We're saved by faith. How do we become a part of God's family? We say, God, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. And he saves us. And when that happens, we are part of a family. Not only is God calling us to build families, but ultimately God is calling us as the church to be a family. Ephesians 2.19, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Listen, every believer is part of the same family. Every Christian on this planet, every believer is part of one great big family. So generally speaking, every Christian is part of your spiritual family, and specifically every person in this church is part of your church family. So I'm going to smile at somebody and tell them we're family. All right, now, it's awkward if you brought your boyfriend to church today. Spiritually speaking, we are all family. And the Bible tells us how we ought to treat our family. Galatians 6.10, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially 
those who are of the household of faith. You ought to love everybody, but especially your brothers and sisters in Christ. Loving your spiritual family is evidence of your salvation. Did you know that? Oh, even the light felt conviction on that one. <laughs> Remember last Sunday when I asked you if you were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. If you come in church on Sunday and you're clean but mean, you ain't in the family. I don't say that. The Bible says that. If you don't love, you don't know God. Oh, man, it got tough in here. In the family of God, we've got to love one another. I love that old song. Give me that old-time religion. It makes me love everybody. I don't want to love everybody, but the Holy Ghost inside of me makes me love everybody. Come on. All of us have been there sometimes. I don't want to love you, but I do love you because I got to love you because I got Jesus in me and you got Jesus in you. We just got to love each other. Amen? The family of God, we got to love each other. Church ought to be the place where people feel more loved than anywhere else on earth. Sadly, in most churches, that's not the case. Let's not be one of those churches, amen? Let's love one another as God has loved us. This is a place where people can come and belong to a family. With the way things are in our culture today, people are not finding real love in the world. What are they finding when they come in here? When we're a church, we're family. Listen, when you have a family, you don't leave that family and join another family when things get difficult, do you? You don't leave your family and sign up for another family just because you got a few weirdos in the bunch. <laughs> Y'all see where I'm going with this? You don't leave your family and join another family just because you have a little bit of disagreement and you don't see eye to eye on everything. It's the same thing with the church. When we're family, we don't have to all look alike and dress alike and act alike and drive the same kind of car and vote the same kind of way. Hello. Some of y'all are diehard Democrats. You go to church with diehard Republicans and y'all get along, but you can't stand the people who don't vote. <laughs> I knew I was going to get you somewhere. But when you're family, none of that, all that other stuff is secondary. Number one, above all else, we are family. We are family. Couldn't help it. Stuck in my head all week. Listen, when there's a little bit of family conflict, you don't walk away from your family. You know, during COVID, we saw that some people walked away. COVID's been a time of conflict. We've had nothing but conflict in our nation for the last several years. Okay, it's nothing new, and people have fight, fought over politics, they've fought over masks, over vaccines, over every little petty thing. But it's not worth walking away from your family over. And some have walked away over the last couple of years, but a lot of people just quit coming. You know, when your family, it's important to get together. When your family, it matters that you take time to spend time together to stay strong as a family. That's why we get together every week. That's why we have Sunday lunch every week. We eat that spiritual food together as a family in fellowship. 
I don't know if you've ever heard of the rule of seven, but they say that what makes somebody really happy and healthy in their church is that they have seven friends in their church family. So I'm going to ask you, do you know seven people in our church? Facebook friends don't count. <laughs> do you have seven friends that know you? Do seven people know you by name? And if, if, if they don't, and if you don't, you got work to do. And we got work to do. Amen? God has called us to be family. That's more than just coming in on Sunday morning and saying, hey, brother, hey, sister, how you doing? Right? That's the old church trick. I didn't have to memorize nobody's name because we grew up in an old school church. We called everybody brother and sister, so I didn't know your name at all. And I just said, hey, brother, praise the Lord. Hey, sister, how you doing? Hey, Amen. And I leave out there didn't know nobody. That's not how God wants it. He wants us to know each other, to be there for one another. How do you make friends in a church? Show up on life groups on Wednesday nights. Stay around after service on Sunday. Come early before church. Sign up and volunteer in a ministry team. Listen, I want everybody here to volunteer in a ministry area. I don't even care if you're good at what you do. Your ministry leader will care, but I don't care because I just want you to make friends and form relationships in the church. So just sign up for whatever. <laughs> I don't care. Amen. I just want you to make friends and get to know people because it matters. It really, really matters. God is calling us to build families, and God is calling us to be family. We stand this morning as the worship team comes and as we pray. I believe that God has been working on somebody's heart this morning. He wants to do something in somebody's life today. God wants us to build families and to be a family and to be there for each other when we need each other the most. How many of you would agree that families are definitely under assault? Now more than ever. So this morning we're going to pray over your family and we're also going to pray over other families. So join me in prayer. Lord, I just thank you, Father, for this day. God, I thank you for this beautiful Sunday morning that you woke every single one of us up. God, I thank you for the family that you strategically placed each and every one of us in. Lord, I thank you for those families. And Lord, I thank you, Father, that in the name of Jesus, what the enemy has meant for harm to try to bring in an assault in, on our families that are in this room and listening to me on Facebook and on the radio, I rebuke the enemy in the name of Jesus. Devil, you will not have our families. You will not have marriages. You will not have our children. You will not have them. And I serve notice on you in the name of Jesus. And I reclaim every single family that you have tried to place a wedge in in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you, Father, that today that families are being put back together, that people are feeling the need to forgive things that they've been holding on to for too long. God, I thank you that they let it go, God. Lord, that you mend things that need to be mended today, Father. And Lord, I thank you for that. God, I thank you that there is a stronger family unit arising. That it is no longer going to be under attack and weak. But God, I proclaim, Father, a strong family unit. That no matter what the enemy sends to come against our families, that he shall not prevail. That as a family, we shall not cave. But God, that we seek you. God, I thank you that every family in here puts you first. 
and as the head of their household, Lord. Let us draw closer to you than we've ever drawn before, Father. And Lord, I thank you that we raise our kids in church that we bring them here every Sunday regardless of what's going on or if it's raining or if something else comes up. But God, that we make a commitment today to put you first. And Lord, I pray that as a church family, God, bind us together. God, let, let us become one unit that functions as one body, Lord. Give us the eyes to see when one member has gone astray or is struggling, God. God, let us be the light and the love that you have given us, Father, to other people. God, let our family unit be tight and strong. And Lord, I thank you, Father, for making our church one big family. Lord, that we love one another as you have loved us, Father. And Lord, that we embrace those that you send us, Father. And I thank you for that. God, I thank you for making us stronger than ever before, Father. Lord, I thank you that you are the God that does not lie. And Lord, I thank you, Father, that everything that the enemy has meant to destroy our families, God, that you're going to use for your good. That every curse that the enemy has tried to put on generations, that they are being broken off in the name of Jesus. I rebuke the spirit of addiction that has been tried to be passed down from family member to family member. The spirit of divorce in the name of Jesus and rebellion. I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. I bind you devil. I rebuke sexual abuse that is trying to attack our families and trying to come in and steal our kids. God, I thank you, Father, for healing in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for healing your people from the things that the enemy has sent at them. God, I proclaim healing in minds in the name of Jesus and for deliverance this morning, for freedom in this house. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you and we give you glory. And God, we give you honor and I thank you for the family of God that you placed me in. And Lord, I thank you for every person that's in this room and that's listening online, Father. God, be with them. Give them strength. Lord, where they're weak, God, I thank you that you pour out your spirit of joy on them because your joy is our strength. And Lord, that you just be with us this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God praise because we are victorious. Let's give him some glory and let's give him some honor. Because he is the amazing God. 